back to the Diversity in Tech Leaders podcast with me, Jess Sutcliffe here at Coltech. I'm representing the hoodie today. Today we've got the amazing guest, Tavaris Brown, who is the CEO and co-founder of Maroxa. I'll let you introduce yourself, Tavaris. I'm sure you can do a far better job of it than I can. I appreciate that. Thank you again for this opportunity. I'm Tavaris Brown from Maroxa, CEO. We are building a platform for developers, a code-first data application platform that enables developers to deliver data products using their existing workflows. So happy to be here, happy to talk about diversity in tech. I got a lot of lot of things to say. <laughs> Absolutely. It's great to have you on board. And like I said, and people who have tuned into the podcast before know there's many reasons as to why I've started this in terms of providing more role models for people in the industry that don't necessarily see themselves represented in places of power and also businesses themselves are looking to grow more diversely or find more inclusive way of hiring or just initiatives internally as well. Can you give us a little bit of a background to you, how you got into the tech industry, your journey, and also a little bit about how you founded Maroxa? Yeah, definitely. So I started off my Mom was a QA engineer at a startup in the first dot-com boom. And I was a teenager looking at all these other teenagers, basically like driving better cars than the the people in my neighborhood that were into some not as legal activities. (laughs) Uh, And so for me, it was kind of like, yo, what are y'all doing? And everybody was like, yeah, we learned how to code. And so I ended up working on teaching myself how to code. My mom had a book allowance. I was like back in the day. like starters were given all types of benefits she had a book allowance of 150 bucks a month so i used to go buy a book uh, and i taught myself how to program went to school did a whole bunch of research one of those research projects caught the eye of microsoft ended up going to work for them on defining their next generation of data centers and all that type of stuff that stuff turned into like you know, the storage and underpinnings of of the cloud strategy that they had around Windows, Azure and Bing and all types of stuff. So for me, I've just always kind of been around systems and uh, developer tools and platforms. Most recently, though, I was at my co-founder and I were at Heroku building the world's best web applications platform as a service. And we realized like, yo, the data ecosystem just needs a little bit of help. Like there's so many tools so many commercial offerings, but like integrating these things is is a pain in the butt. So, and none of them are focused on real-time data. So what we ended up doing was basically starting Maroxa and building a company to go do that. We've raised about 20 million bucks worth of VC funding. We've hired all around the globe. We're almost 40 people right now. And then also too, and the reason why I'm probably here is that we've maintained a, a diverse culture on the team. So even though we're hiring mostly senior folks, you know, we're over 50% black and brown, close to 50% women and our, our exec team is 90% underrepresented. And then also we've launched an apprenticeship program as well. So now we're training because, you know, you can't buy everybody, right? Like everybody's <laughs> everybody's trying to recruit for those senior engineers full stack. They know everything. Right. But, yeah, we, we just realized, like, yo, we got to we got to have a good, good training system. So that way we can we can build some engineers out here. So, yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got an amazing company on your hands there. And it's so nice and refreshing to see somebody so 
passionate about diversity and actually building you know teams up from scratch with diversity in mind as well so just sort of I mean that leads quite nicely on to the next question I know you mentioned about the percentages there that you sort of keep track on and I think that's actually how I came across you as an option for this podcast because I visited your website the percentages that you mentioned there were actually listed on there so why in your opinion would you say it's important to create diverse workforces well, number one, like I always say, if, if your CEO isn't your chief diversity officer, you've already lost, right? <laughs> because at the end of the day, like nobody else is going to care about it if, 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 if the CEO doesn't do anything, right? And so we have the power and agency to actually affect change. So for me, as a black man in tech, like it is something that's super important for me to provide opportunities and a safe space, a psychologically safe space for, for people that look like me to come and do their best work, right? Like... I feel like every pretty much non-white cis male has a crazy ass story. Even some of them got crazy ass stories about yeah. uh, just 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 dealing with with workplace trauma, right? And so for us, is I couldn't create a company without having DEI at the forefront. And so it's on my goals. It's on like it's codified into our company culture. And the reason why we made it public was just to hold ourselves accountable, right? And like. I think that that's something that, you know, the team has bought into whoever's on the squad. Like, like we we all uh, have this thing about, like, you know, showcasing our diversity, right? And it's like, I hate that trope of like, oh, I don't see color or whatever. Like, no, you, you actually need to, right? Because yeah. people have these wildly varied experiences that make up who they are. And, like, we need to embrace that. And we need to account for those when we're making decisions. The reason why I think it's so so important, though, is, like, one diversity of thought right like not everybody comes from the same space so the experience that make you up as a human being can help you have a different perspective on how to solve a problem and so having all those voices in the room when you're tackling something as as heavy and heated as what we're doing is super important the second thing too is just a little bit more altruistic is like look the tech industry is a new gold rush right like there's you know millionaires that get created every week every month just by being right place right time and having access to these opportunities at startups right and so you know more people that are on that look like us get these opportunities we can affect our communities we can affect you know we can have generational wealth uh, we can participate in an economy and exercise our civic duty with confidence because we have disposable income right and so at the end of the day, for me, it's just kind of like, yeah, we can do some good and, and provide some opportunities. And even if this doesn't work, right, like a lot of people can't say that they work for, a, you know, help build a Series A startup off the ground. So it gives them a great story to go tell for the next thing that they want to do. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of why why I think diversity is super important. Absolutely. And just jumping off that then, because I know you mentioned in terms of struggles that maybe yourself has faced or other people that are not necessarily white cis men in the industry did you find any input on that or how did you find the experience when you were sort of trying to get funding for the startup yeah i mean wait can you repeat the question like what what do you mean by that in terms of because obviously um 
for example, Lauren Washington, who I believe we spoke about before, her company concentrates on helping startups that are from underrepresented groups within the tech industry. As a black man who was doing a startup, and I, I'm not sure how you find the process of getting the funding, was it sort of were the only struggles that you faced in terms of that, or that you felt it was related, or was it a case of hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, you found it that it was based on merit as opposed to anything else? Yeah, no, nah, it wasn't raising money wasn't difficult. It's one of those things where I try to tell, you know, founders of color, like, yo, it doesn't have to be as hard as you think it is. If you follow a a pretty basic formula, which is a founder market fit, right? Like, do you have expertise, professional expertise in the field that you're trying to raise money for, right? So for me, doing the developer tools company and a platform company, everybody looks at my experience it's like, oh yeah, duh, right? Like, you know, you were an engineer at this, you're a product manager at multiple places doing this at a high level. So you doing this is not a far departure, right? The second component is investor market fit, right? And so usually what, what I find a lot of what, what black and brown founders do is like, they go out and pitch to people that look like them but don't understand that like a lot of them might not invest in the industry or stage that you are at. Right. So, you know, for me, it's kind of like, I have this like hierarchy of, of investors that I try to like invest in. Right. So, you know, obviously friends and family, but you know, and then friends, I would also say coworkers too. Right. So people that have worked with you that can vouch for your work ethic, because a lot of these guys got stock and, you know, money that they've been saving up and they're looking to get into angel investing. So you just got to kind of let them know. But if that doesn't work, then you go to, like I say, the investor market fit, right? Like for me, early on, I only talked to people who invested in dev tools that pre-seed or seed, right? And like, and data and, you know, platforms, right? Like that was it, right? And so yeah. that ended up getting me, I mean, like literally we got the who's who of who on our cap table at seed, right? You know, Kleiner, Sequoia, Menlo, Edition, Index, Meritech, Capital, bunch of folks. And in addition to my leads, who actually led the seed round, which were uh, Root and Amplify, right? Like everybody was was very, very focused, right? I didn't go for the big brand names and all that type of stuff because look, money's green, right? Like all you really need is the money to get to where you want to go. Then the third rung of that is like, if you can't get like industry specific and state specific, that investor market fit, then you go to whatever your affinity niches are, right? So you know, as a black man from Chicago, right? Like there's three probably, you know, that went to University of Illinois. There's three like areas I can go reach out to. University of Illinois has an angels network. There's Chicago venture capital capital folks. There are folks that are specifically trying to invest in, you know, black founders, right? Like go after those folks next. And if that doesn't work, then that's when you go to the general folks if you're trying to raise money, right? Like in yeah. the more general, bigger firms, right? But Usually within that first three, you should be able to find who you are. And so for me, I've been able to apply that like at every company that I've had. And I think the longest it's probably taken me to raise money is like two to three weeks. Right. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I try- follow this advice. <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope they do. Right. Like that's what I'm trying to tell folks is like there's somebody told me a stat like there's 15 trillion dollars of unspent VC capital out there. Right. Like that's supposed to be allocated, supposed to be spent. All right. Like money is flowing. All right, we raised money in the middle of of COVID, right? And like, yeah. not only that, our team went from like six to thirty something 
in the heart of COVID, right? And so, look, there's no money, there's no shortage of opportunity out here. You just have to learn how to like craft your story. And that's actually the third component. So founder market fit, investor market fit. And then the third is just a compelling story, right? Like once you have that, where it's kind of like, oh, you know, we're going after this huge market and this is the slicer that, that we're taking on, at least initially, like anybody listens to that. I mean, I think that that's something that, you know, we can take advantage of the formula and just raise money. That is absolutely great advice for anyone listening. If interested in, you know, creating a startup, I think that's some great advice to be following there. And what better example than you, because you've been successful in it. So in terms of the hiring process itself, because obviously I know you mentioned your team has, you know, more than tripled over the past couple of years. How have you managed to navigate the hiring process with diversity in mind? Yeah, just be intentional about it. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like if you got numbers, right, that you're and targets that you're trying to hit, just look at it and say, you know what? Yeah, this hire might bring us to underneath our targets and then like try to do better. It's so strange to me that like people just just make up every excuse not to hire diverse talent. Like it, you really have to be intentional about not doing so. When I go look on LinkedIn for, for talent, I just look for what I'm looking for, right? Like whatever it is that I need. And it's like, oh yeah, I might have to go to the fourth page, but like I'm going to find somebody that I need, right? And like reach out. And like for me, the best part about it is, you know, I'm not hitting somebody with the, you know, the same script that I'm hitting everybody else with, right? Like for a diverse talent, I can be a little more colloquial. I can be a little more familiar because at the end of the day, that's my advantage, right? Like I know what everybody's basically been through, right? Like everybody's felt marginalized and they haven't been getting the opportunities that they needed, like all this type of stuff. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I know that because I've been there, right? Like yeah. despite my best efforts and trying to be successful and do great work, a lot of times I was overlooked for those things, right? And it's like, look, you're going to get paid what you need to get paid. You're going to get the opportunities to do great work and you're going to be supported whether you do great, good or bad, right? Like long as you try and, you know, that type of stuff, like you'll be successful here. And that's the thing where a lot of people can say that, but, you know, diverse talent can look at me and know that that's true, right? Authenticity for me is like the biggest cheat code because at the end of the day, like a lot of people can talk it like, oh, we're focused on diversity. And then you go to their team page and it's like, it looks like Chelsea's football team. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All dudes, right? Like, like you got a picture of a dog on your team page, but you couldn't find a woman? Like, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, it's, it's crazy to me. So that's the type of stuff where I'm just like, yeah, we can do a lot better. Yeah, no, no, I think that's absolutely amazing. And jumping off that as well, in terms of, you know, the importance of having diverse representation on panels and interviews, I think that's equally as important. Like you said, it's good to see somebody that you might relate to on the panel and not just feel you know like it's you against however many people you're interviewing with at the end of the day but yeah we'll pop on to the next question then so in terms of advice actually i can even say something about that i like it that's also the coolest thing ever that we get to do right is like have diverse slates or interviews like whatever it is that you want like whether I'm interviewing in marketing, whether I'm interviewing in engineering, like I can have an all woman panel. I can have an all brown panel. I can have all black panel. Like just think about it as an engineer, right? You come to Maroxa, your CEO is black, CTO is black, VP of engineering is black. I, you know, it's just like, like, or we can go the other way. It's like, you know, we got the women and we got folks, you know, the 
from from Hispanic. Like we can literally, however it is that you want to slice and dice, right? Like being able to see yourself represented through the company just sends a powerful message, right? Like there's a sense of familiarity there. And I think that that's something that like people need to understand that it's not just money that's going to move people these days, right? Like everybody keeps talking about the great resignation it's, and, and it's not necessarily about money. It's about agency, right? Like people want to be able to feel invested in the problem that they're solving and see themselves, you know, get rewarded for great work. And a lot of times, like, you know, not having that that familiarity to understand that people are just like, oh, I'm just going to throw them a million dollars and it'll be okay. But it's like, Money just isn't enough these days. So what else are you going to do? Exactly. And I think a word that you touched on earlier, authenticity, I think it's so obvious if you speak to somebody, especially if they're in the hiring position. And I, I would advise any candidates that are listening to this and interested in joining a company that are passionate about diversity when they reach, you know, final stages that they do ask questions around diversity inclusion, because that will give you such a gateway on how that's answered to whether, you know, the CEO, CTO, whoever your manager will be is passionate about that or not, and what their ideas are in order to be more inclusive of a company. So I'd definitely say that to anyone who's listening. Um, I definitely did that during my interviews and I'm here at Coltec and I'm here doing this podcast. So there you go. So in terms of advice, I know you've given a lot so far, but what advice would you give to companies that are hoping to create a a bit more of a diverse and inclusive workforce? Yeah, I mean, the easy way is just start at whatever, wherever your HQ is and and the demographics of that, that country or whatever your region is. Just look at the census, all right, and just say, like, look, I, at a bare minimum, I want my company to be reflective of the environment around me, right? And so, you know, in the U.S., we, like, you know, took a look at it and it's like, oh, bare minimum should be, you know, 13% black, 16% brown, 48% women, like all the other stuff, right? Like, we just looked at it and say, yo, here's a benchmark that we can at least go off of, right? And, like... Just do that at the bare minimum. Be intentional about it. Like, for me, I really just don't understand why it's so difficult for folks just to do that, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And in terms of your leadership style as well, then, because, I mean, you strike me as quite a chilled out guy. However, I imagine you want to get stuff done. What is your leadership style and what advice would you give to any underrepresented group that is hoping to progress into leadership? Yeah, I mean, for me, I I call myself benevolent dictator, but at the end of the day, right, like, I treat people like adults. Do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. Like, and that's it. And for me, it's just like, you know, we collaborate and work on defining the what, right? But at the end of the day, as a leader, my job is to provide people with information, you know, with three things, which is like people, money, and information, right? And so if I do that, and I give you what you need to go be successful, I'm going to help you define what it is that you need to go solve when you need to solve it by to meet, you know, customer demand or whatever. But like, other than that, like, you know, I want you to be an adult. So if you have an issue, hey, I'm going to go, you know, we're going to talk about it, right? Like, or I'm going to, you know, if I have a dependency, I'm going to talk like self-organized, but I'm not about to like breathe down somebody's throat to to get something done every, you know, it's, it's like when one that doesn't scale, two that burns people out and three that's just bad for morale, right? Like that's, that's just not how people should work. If I hire you and I'm paying you, I should trust you to do the job that you, you, you say that you're going to do. 
period. Right. And like, you know, unfortunately, we've had these like archetypes of that boss, that, that CEO that's always breathing down people's necks and all that type of stuff. But like, you don't really need that. You know, I'm a, I'm a big, big, big fan of history and all of those types of things. And so like, you know, you, you look at leaders like Hannibal or you look at leaders like Toussaint Louverture and like all this stuff, right? Like they didn't rule by fear. They ruled by respect, right? And they ruled by, most of the folks take that Machiavellian thing, you got to have fear and respect. But like, in a day, like they just trusted their people to organize under a cause to lead them to the promised land. Like, look, you stick with me. This is what we got to go do. I know it's going to suck for a little bit, but like being open, honest, and transparent about what you're doing and what the problem is, you just start building these emotive relationships with people. And if you treat them with respect, they'll be willing to do anything for you. Right. And so at the end of the day, like that's what my leadership style is. And I, and I feel like people need to learn how to be like, don't just follow what you see on the, in the movies or like what you read in books and you know, what you see of these, like, oh, I want to be like Elon Musk. I want to be like Steve Jobs. Like them cast is ruthless. Right. And they, <laughs> they turn, they turn through people. Right. But the, the, the good thing is, is like they had a company where they can attract the best talent, but not everybody has that. Right. And so at the end of the day, you have to figure out like how to create an environment that's going to endear people to, you know, whether in the good times and the bad times, and you can't do that by treating them like crap all the time. So yeah, 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 absolutely. I completely agree with that. I think the main thing is respect, and if you, your staff respect you, they're going to do more for you. They're going to, like you said, they're they're going to follow your advice and 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 get the job done. So, what advice would you give somebody from a minority background that's looking to break into the tech industry then? You know, there's a bunch of opportunities, especially now, because every company is essentially a tech company, right? Like everybody has a IT department. Everybody is at least tech enabled, right? And so what I would say is, is like, you don't have to learn how to code, right? Like you can break in as a, you know, an EA or marketer or customer support. But the thing is, is like being able to tell your story and how your skills translates over to a tech role it's a skill that you'll just need to have anyway, right? Or whatever role, right? So I had a my old roommate, he was a chef who ended up going into like catering sales. And he's like, yo, I want to break into to tech. And it's like, okay, well, I'll teach you the lingo as to how to think about this stuff. But like, I mean, he's crushing it as a salesperson now, right? And this dude was cooking Michelin star meals like a couple of years ago, right? Like at the end of the day, it's never about, you know, oh, I have to get a computer science degree or whatever. It's like, no, you just need to have a, a marketable skill that you can relay how it relates to accreting to the bottom line or value that that the company is trying to trying to get. And if you can do that, you can get any job. I mean, they're literally hot. like, man, I know people that are like uh, video producers that got jobs at tech companies, audio engineers that got jobs at tech companies, people that throw events, right? Like, you know, if you're a party promoter, like you can be a field marketing professional for a tech company, right? Like, all this type of stuff. And it's like, yo, if there's something that you do outside of the tech industry, there's probably something that you can do within it as well. Yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned before, like if it isn't something that you are passionate about, diversity and inclusion, I think it's something like 70, 80% of people are looking for the more inclusive workforce environment to be involved in when, and it is important to them when they are looking for new jobs. So even just asking, 
questions around diversity inclusion what they're doing you know what thoughts are even if it's something in in the media or whatever the case is authenticity comes through and it you can tell within i'd say within probably five seconds of their answer whether they're authentic and passionate about it or not but yeah and in terms of things that you look for when you're interviewing then what would you be looking for in the interview process from candidates just advice on how if there's sort of a couple of main things that people don't necessarily think of that you keep an eye out for the main thing I look for is a history of execution right like where are you able to get things done I feel like we got a lot of folks that can talk you know like say good stories and things like that which is fine like you have to be able to tell your story but like at the end of the day i want you to show me that you've executed at everything that you've done right and and had some sort of measurable impact whether that's good or bad i don't care but like yo i launched this thing it did these numbers i expected to do this but it didn't do that because of whatever reason but this is how we mitigate it like that's a great story to tell right like yeah, i can be a tech company that could be a lemonade stand that could be a college club like whatever it is right like I just want to see that you always had a, a history of execution. And when you look at resumes and things like that, a lot of folks just don't have that. You know, they just don't have the the, the execution history and rhythm. And it, it's kind of, it, it's not kind of, but it is very, very concerning. So, you know, yeah. that's the main thing I look for. Other than that, like, it's all like, I would say the other thing too is like, you've demonstrated a, a passion for something, right? I don't care what it is, right? Like, you can be the world's best curler or you can be the world's best. Whatever. <laughs> like, like, I just want to see that you have something inside of you that drives you to be the best at something. And for me, with those two things, right, like it, it goes to show me work ethic and it goes to show me like you value completeness. And that's really transferable across every role. Like, obviously, there's role specific stuff that we have to go look at. For yeah. me, that's table stakes. But kind of the things that are unspoken and intangibles that, that I look for when we're reviewing a resume is just a history of like execution and, and passion about something. Yeah, absolutely. I guess we'll focus the final question a little bit more on you and what's to come for Maroxa. So what does the future look like for you and Maroxa? Oh, it's exciting. So, you know, obviously we're still hiring. We got a, a lot of great product and and things that we're going to be delivering to, to, to folks coming in the future. Yeah, I mean, you know, we are releasing some things that will make it a lot easier for developers to build these real-time applications everybody's doing the low code thing you know we're we're moving towards high code and, and really helping developers build these real-time applications that's really it i mean you know out here investing you know angel investing in, in startups and the in data dev tools and the process space but yeah our, we're cooking with gas and so it's going to be a very very busy first quarter for us because of that, I thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me because I know you're extremely busy at the moment and I absolutely look forward to what you guys do over the next few years. Appreciate that. Thank you very much for this opportunity and I hope the audience gleaned something useful out of this. But um, always add me on Twitter, Devaris P. Brown. You can always add me on LinkedIn at Devaris Brown. I'm pretty accessible. I shouldn't be, but I, yeah, everyone <laughs> tells me I, I'm too accessible, but yeah, I'm pretty accessible. Well, I managed to get a call, so there you go. If, if I can, yeah. everybody else can. Thank you so much for joining us today, Devaris. I think you've absolutely been a perfect addition to our podcast sessions. Anyone who's listening, try and get in touch with you if you're hiring at the moment. So yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us. And yeah, hopefully we'll be speaking soon. Yeah, likewise, likewise. Thanks very much. Bye.